Oh, good morning, everyone. Great to see you this morning, and good that we can come together. Again, I had this, uh, this thought this morning that it's wonderful that we can, we can still gather together on, um, on site so at, at the church. Uh, it's just wonderful that we can still do this, and God willing, we'll continue to, to do this, and how grateful we are that we can be together in the church. Um, also, welcome again. I was thinking this morning how, you know, those of, those of you that are um, relatively new to the fellowship and have been coming probably for a few months or maybe even a year, um, particularly those who might have learnt of us a bit more during lockdown, I really do hope that you are uh, becoming more and more familiar with who we are as a church, what we teach, I guess kind of the culture of our church and and always, you're always welcome to ask questions as to, as to more about us if you want. And I, my, and I am also hoping, particularly if you're new, that you are able to connect more and more with people in the fellowship and get to know a few more people in the church as well. Maybe even, maybe even some of those home fellowships that have been running and have started recently. So I do pray that you're, you, you are feeling more connected and you're also knowing a bit more about us and what we, what we believe and what we teach uh, we're a simple fellowship that just wants to just get God's word out as uh, clearly and as simply as possible because we believe that the word of God, it's the word of God that changes lives. Yeah, it's the word of God that transforms lives. So we don't really need to add a lot to it. Uh, in fact, we don't really need to add anything at all. Um, it's the word of God that just changes lives. Changes life. So if we can just teach it, we want to teach it accurately. We want to teach it simply we want it just to come across as it ought to come across. And if you trust God's word, if you trust it, then I believe you're going to experience God's power in transforming your life and making it more like Christ, but, but making it better, even better than what it is today. So let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. And we're going to read uh, from a passage in Matthew. Um, let's ask God's blessing on his word today. Our God in heaven, we just acknowledge your love and your power this morning. Um, we have come from different places. We've had different experiences this week. For some, it's been incredibly difficult. For some, it's just been normal and easygoing. But we just come now, Lord, before your word, because you are a, um, a counselor, you are a shepherd that knows our hearts and we pray that you would feed us and teach us and encourage us and guide us through your word this morning. We pray that our hearts are open and ready to receive uh, the simplicity of your word, that we don't try and make it anything more than it needs to be. And so we ask that you would help us to do this and that you would be um, completing your uh, heart's desire this morning as we listen carefully and receive what you have to say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew, Matthew's gospel, the first gospel in the New, in the New Testament. If you can open, please, your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 4. And you will know that this passage in Matthew chapter 4 is when Jesus is being tempted by the devil. True story. True story. 
There was a time in the life of Jesus, right at the start of uh, his work on this earth, right before he became well known to everyone, um, that he had this little time, this little period of time when he was all alone in the wilderness, uh, having to endure uh, a real hard experience so he could then, um, well, I guess probably for a number of reasons, but here he is. And what I want to I want to want to share with you this morning is a little bit about this experience and one of the one of the, t- the temptations that the Bible talks to us about in this time. And so in Matthew in Matthew chapter four, from verse one, the Bible says, "Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness." Now I'm going to read it just to three or four verses this morning uh, from this passage. But it's interesting that the Bible says that he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, which suggests to me that there's something really significant that the that God in heaven had planned for him because it was God's Spirit that led him into the wilderness, which, you know, sort of makes you, sort of blows your mind away a little bit to think that this is God's Spirit that's actually working this out intentionally to get him into the wilderness because God had a plan. God had a plan. And what that, what that means is perhaps a conversation for another day, but, but it's God's Spirit that's doing this. And God's Spirit did this in the wilderness so that Jesus could be tempted by the devil. And that's an interesting thought in itself, again. Because some people suggest that the wilderness was a place, wasn't a, a nice kind of comfortable place where you could just go and relax and just have some time on your own. But there is a place where it was quite dangerous with lots of wild beasts. So it wasn't like a kind of a, a safe place necessarily. But despite all these risks that were just part of the wilderness, perhaps, or you could argue that the, this, the greatest risk was what, who pops up here, and that's the devil. Yeah, so he's being tempted now. He's there to be tempted by the devil, led by the Spirit into this situation. Wrap your head around that. Verse 2, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he's not the first person to have done this. Moses did this way back in the Old Testament. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's the only, sort of, that's the only temptation I really want to focus on this morning. So any kind of, I want to bring out something, hopefully, that encourages us this morning in what, is, what the devil's trying to do and what Jesus is saying back in response to him. So the devil tries to tempt him and says, you know what, after 40 days of, being, of fasting and not eating anything, of course it's normal to be hungry, that's a normal experience. And so the devil decides that the way he's going to tempt him in one way is to make sure, um, is to try and entice him to think about the hunger that he's experiencing and have him do something to solve that. doesn't seem too bad. Becoming hungry and then wanting to eat something doesn't seem too bad. But let's look at it a little bit more. 
The temptation of Jesus in itself raises a lot of questions. It's really a fascinating conversation and, and um, when we look into what it means for Jesus to be tempted. And lots of people over the years have tried to understand it and debate it and think, well, what is it? What does it really mean for Jesus to be tempted? What did he really feel? How did he feel in that experience? Did he even feel the temptation? You know, so people have these conversations because here is the Son of God who leaves his throne, the Word become flesh, and he's in the middle of this experience who's being tempted by the devil. What did that even feel like to him? Did it just kind of like bounce off him like a, a brick wall? Did it penetrate him like a sponge in some way so he would feel it and experience it and and but then there was no chance he would give into it or was he like us and have every kind of feeling that we have and the experience that we have and so he was in a situation where it felt like what we feel and he resisted like we resisted it's an interesting conversation isn't it because he's the son of god and what I love about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't have to necessarily uh, answer itself just on one scripture, one verse, does it? Why it's important when you read the Bible, it's not something that you pick up one verse and you say, oh yes, here's one verse, I can go and do this now because this one verse says I can. That's in fact quite risky sometimes. To go and cling on to one verse and think to yourself, yep, there you go, I I've got my reason for, or my justification for doing what I want to do. Well, that's not how we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible trying to hope to find that magic verse to allow us to get away with doing something that God really is saying you shouldn't be doing. So we look at all of the scriptures and we think, okay, what is the Bible really trying to tell us? Because God's word is perfect. And if it says it somewhere, it's very likely to say it somewhere else as well. So the temptation of Jesus is interesting, and I, I find comfort in just understanding this passage in light of other passages in the Bible. So for example, I'll read you a couple. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. There you go. It's interesting, isn't it? So Hebrews tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we have this high priest, that's Jesus, who sympathizes, understands, almost gets how we feel. That starts to tell you something, doesn't it? He kind of gets it. He's not somehow um, uh, far from this experience. He sympathizes with us. He knows the experience of what it means when you're in the midst of a situation being tempted to do something that you know is not good for you. And he says, yet without sin. And then another passage in Hebrew says this, who, this referring to Jesus again, in the days of his flesh, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Oh boy, what a passage. What a magnificent passage. And here the writer is simply telling us 
that his Jesus, that he cries out, he cries out, asking God, the Father, to rescue him. I don't know. Do you do that? I do that. Here's this experience again when the Son of God is crying out, knowing that with, cre- with crying and with tears, the Father in heaven is able to save him from death. And he resisted and did these things, not because of a position that he had, but because of his commitment to who he was. And even as the Son, the Bible says, he actually even had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. So his own experiences taught him what obedience was. I don't know about you, but when I look at the temptations of Jesus, I see the Son of God coming in the flesh, experiencing what I experience it, like how I experience it, and then resisted it, resisted it right up to the cross. And that encourages me, brothers and sisters, to also fight and resist sin in my life. Because here I have the Son of God who goes through the same experience as me. And in this temptation, the devil comes in this temptation, sees that Jesus is hungry and decides he's going to tempt him with bread. Now here's an interesting thought. Were these the only three temptations Jesus experienced? We know if we keep on reading, there's two others after that. Often people refer to the three temptations of Christ. But are they they the only three temptations he experienced? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm inclined to think no. I'm inclined to think that he was going through a whole stack of temptations while he was in the wilderness. Listen to what it says in Luke. I'll read it for you. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the same account but by a different author, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Listen carefully, verse 2. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Interesting, isn't it? Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when when they had ended, he was hungry. So look, you know what? I know people might have different views on this, but I think, I think what was happening here is when Jesus gets into the wilderness and day after day, day after day, the devil's trying to tempt him to have a go, to try and get him to do something that is against the Father's will and he's having a go day after day after day and then perhaps towards the end of this time when he's actually really, really hungry from the fasting, he comes out and, and hits him with this one temptation that is to do with bread. If that's what it is, that's remarkable. Because when we look at Jesus as our example, when we look at Jesus as the one that we look up to for encouragement and for strength and all that is happening, he's not just experiencing just these last three, but his whole experience in the wilderness is a temptation after a temptation. For us, when we experience temptation after temptation, that sometimes after a little while, the temptation is to think, well, I'm done with having to face this all the time. But that's not the experience of Christ. Christ never thought to himself, I'm done, enough. Okay, one day, two days, five days, ten days, but 39 days, (laughs) that's it. But he continued and he continued and he persisted and he did the Father's 
will because this is what he calls us to be. This is who he calls us to be. So Jesus is being tempted, let's say, it sounds like for, for a lot more. And, he, and he, he's in a place of hunger and then the devil comes to him. Now, if the devil was going to tempt Jesus, imagine, you know, you think about this, this, this picture, this image. If the devil is going to tempt Jesus, what do you think he's going to bring out? If he's got his little temptation bag, what is he going to bring out? It's the Son of God. What is he going to do? What is he going to think of to actually get to him and have him do something that he shouldn't be doing? You know, this is quite fascinating because you imagine if the devil's going to bring anything out at this point in the life of Jesus, he's going to bring out the best weapon he's got, isn't he? For sure he's going to. He's not going to play games and think, oh, look, I'll try this one. Maybe this will work. Maybe this will. He's going to bring out the very thing that is going to mean the most or perhaps hit the hardest on him. I don't know. I think, it's, I think, I think the example is really, really clear to us. Sometimes I hear people say to me things like this, but why this? Why is this happening? Why am I experiencing? Why, why does it have to be this? And I don't know always the answer to that. But I do know that the enemy, the enemy is, is going to look for things that he knows are going to hit the hardest. I know that's him. Now, I'm not saying what you're experiencing is from the devil. I'm just saying, I know the enemy is going to look for things that are going to hit the hardest. And he did the same for, Je- for Jesus. So Jesus was hungry, was hungry, and he decided that what he would do was ask or, or say to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then I, why don't you go ahead and turn these stones into bread? Now, obviously, bread's not the issue, isn't it? Bread's not the issue. It's not like bread has a problem. If we eat bread, it's not like a sin to eat bread. But here he was. And anything that Jesus did that was outside of the Father's will, and the Father's will wasn't to turn those stones into the bread, because here he was in the wilderness uh, for a season, for a period, by God, doing what he had to do. And having turned the stones into bread would have been outside of the Father's will. And that was the reason why Jesus said he wouldn't do it. Jesus wasn't going to indulge himself and his own pleasures at the expense of going against his Father's will. We're not going to go and indulge ourselves and our pleasures and our desires at the expense of the Father's will, are we? And so what Jesus is doing here isn't resisting bread because bread is bad for you, but he's resisting the sin of going against what his father would have him do. Understand? The Bible tells us in 1 John, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the father, but it's of the world. You see, sometimes... um, the things that we long for, the desires that we have and that we long for, 
while a lot of them are actually okay and, and might be fine, there is going to be a bunch of those desires that we long for sometimes that we know deep in our hearts isn't right, isn't good, isn't from God. And the Bible says this is where the temptations come from, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What you long for, what you want to indulge, yeah, what you see and what you re- want really, really badly, and of course pride and how everyone's going to think about you. These areas are going to come very strong at times and the devil's going to use them wisely. He's going to use them because he wants to entice. And so Jesus is experiencing the same thing. Here he's experiencing these kinds of temptations and the devil's trying to draw him to do something that wasn't of the Father's will. Now I want you to think about something. I want you to consider the, the condition Jesus was in. While it's okay to say, I'm not going to turn these stones into bread, the problem here is it isn't that easy to say this because the condition that he was in, he had been fasting for 40 days and so he was completely vulnerable. Can you picture that? Can you picture that situation? He's completely vulnerable. He's got a body that is utterly weak and it's hungry and he wants to eat and so he feels the great deep desire to eat. That's Jesus. Please don't tell me that Jesus wasn't hungry or he didn't feel this deep. This, I go without a day without food and I'm like, can't wait to get my hands on some bread. And here he was with this deep desire to want to eat, this great experience of what his flesh was feeling. And then in that moment, in the condition of being so vulnerable, he's being asked, hey, if you're the son of God, go and turn these stones into bread. And that became um, the the, the risk of the temptation because of his vulnerability. And it's true for us two brothers and sisters, that the greater our vulnerability, listen, the greater our vulnerability, the stronger that temptation is going to be. Yet Jesus was able to resist. How many times have you heard people say, maybe they've got home from work, and they've thought to them, and they've, and they've, um, and, and they've, set, they've come in through the door, and something's happened, and they've said something that they shouldn't say. And and you might ask them, you know, why did you say that? And you go, well, because you don't understand how hard today was at work. Have you had, have you heard something similar to that? Or have you maybe had that experience yourself? It's been such a hard day at work today, and and I've come home, and now this has happened at home. How do you expect me to respond? Well, you know what? That's what we're talking about. The greater your vulnerability, the greater the temptation. Jesus didn't have eight hours of it. He had 40 days of it. And in the 40 days of the temptation, this is how amazing and incredible this example is to us. Because in that 40 days of that temptation, that vulnerability just grew and grew and grew. And he would have got more hungry and more hungry as the days went on. And bang, the devil comes and says, hey, now, now turn them into bread. And even in that moment, in that moment, our faithful high priest in the suffering of his flesh was able to say to him, no, I'd rather please my father than give in to my flesh. Do you get that? This is the beauty of salvation, brothers and sisters. This is the beauty of the cross. This is what Jesus gives us. When we talk about being like Christ, this is what we're talking about. 
We're talking about the ability to be in a place like Jesus that is able to draw and draw ourselves closer and closer into his presence that we're able to resist sin unto bloodshed. So the greater the vulnerability of our condition, for sure, the stronger our temptation. But I'll give you another one. The greater the the greater our position is compromised, the stronger the temptation as well. Now, just a disclaimer here, Jesus wasn't in a compromised position. I just want to say that. But for us, the greater our position is compromised. If you compromise your position, you place yourself in situations where you shouldn't be, you put yourselves in, in, in scenarios where you really Jesus is saying you, you can't, you've got to get out of that, yeah? Or you start conversations that you shouldn't start, whatever it is. If you place yourselves in a compromising situation, then don't be fooled or surprised when that temptation gets you. True? So yeah, the greater your vulnerability, for sure, the greater the temptation, but the greater you're compromising your situation, then obviously the greater the temptation is as well. So that's why the Bible says, get out of it, flee it, leave it, don't hang around in it, because it's not the place that you ought to be. In fact, it says it another way in Romans 6, it says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Once you start to dabble with things and place yourself in a compromising situation, guess what happens? You start to allow sin to begin to play and to have its way. And then when it wants you, you can't help but say, yes, have me. That's, that's what the Bible's saying here. But that's not the way of the believer, brothers and sisters, because the Bible says, for God did not call us to holy, uh, uncleanness, but he called us to holiness. First Thessalonians Four. Does that make sense? It's not popular, is it? But it's it's helpful. It's helpful. So Jesus, so if the devil was going to use a temptation, I imagine he's using he's going to get the best, and he does this with the bread. Now, think about it for a second. If Jesus was going to use a verse what would he use? Now, Jesus knows the whole of the Bible. He, know, he could quote any Old Testament verse. So if Jesus was going to use a verse, then he's going to pick one that is going to mean a lot, isn't he? He isn't just going to think, oh, what's, what's a verse? What's a verse? What's a verse? He's not going to think like that. You know, let me, let me pull out my, my, my Old Testament and flick through and ho- hopefully find one. No, he's going he's to use a verse that is going to make the most powerful punch back to the enemy. And so he chooses to use this one. Man doesn't live. Oh, sorry, first he says it is written. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I love this. Now we know, most of us know the context of this year, the Old Testament when uh, Israel were in the wilderness and they were wandering through for 40 years and God was feeding them manna from heaven. And every day they'd have to collect manna to eat from heaven. And so Jesus is, is making reference to that. But he's particularly quoting a verse from Deuteronomy 8. And let me read this verse to you. It's very interesting. It says, and this is when God is speaking to his people, what happened to them in the wilderness. He says, so we, he humbled you. That's God humbled the Israelites. 
He allowed you to hunger. This is Deuteronomy 8. He allowed you to hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now, there's a little bit of a twist to this verse that I wanted to highlight to you. So Jesus is quoting this verse and he says, what God did in the Old Testament was this. He took you through a wilderness and he actually caused you to get hungry. Yeah, much what like Jesus was experiencing. He caused you to get hungry. And the reason why he caused you to get hungry is so that you can realize you don't live by bread. Because your very dependency in the wilderness was on what God's word had told you and his promise to you was, I'm going to feed you every day. Did you get that? So God was feeding them every day and what they had to trust in was not the manna that was on the floor, but the promise that God was going to give the manna every day. Did you get that? And so what he was telling his people was this, God uh, caused you to get hungry so that when you were eating the manna, you would always remember that you don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And that was the dependency. And in the Old Testament, it became really clear who trusted that and who didn't trust that. Because on the sixth day, they were told, collect for two days, because the Sabbath, yeah? And every other day, they were said, just collect for one day. And some people found that really hard to do. They thought that this, I couldn't do this. And they tried to gather more than they had to gather from God. And of course, on the next day, the leftovers, it all became rotten with worms. Yeah? Some people couldn't trust God's word, even then. So Jesus is saying to the devil very simply, man doesn't live by bread alone. It's like he's saying to the devil, I know what the truth of life is. And the truth of life is this. I can't stuff my life with everything of this earth and expect to live. Because what I really need, what I really need above all things is the word of God. And I can try and stuff my life with everything in this life that feels like it's going to satisfy me, but it's actually going to starve my soul if I don't first trust in and live by God's word alone. It's like bread. You can have a, a diet of bread. Yeah? You can eat bread as much as you like. But at the end of the day, you can be full on bread but still be very undernourished, can't you? You can be full. You can have the feeling like you're full. You can have the feeling like you don't need anything else. But at the end of the day, you can be extremely undernourished because that's what's filling you up. You get that? And Jesus is saying the same thing. You can go and find so many earthly satisfactions. You can go and find so many earthly uh, pleasures to the point where they might fill you but they'll never nourish you they might fill you and they'll never satisfy you they might fill you but your soul will continue to be starved you know the other temptation and i speak to those who have known the scriptures for a while the other temptation, brothers and sisters, is to feel like you know enough of the Word of God 
You're like, I know, I know this. So you feel the need to have it less in your life. Do you get that? Because you know it. You can probably quote it better than me. And so the danger here is this. You see this as a book and not your source of life. Get that? You see it as a book of knowledge rather than life and nourishment that you need daily. And so the scriptures encourage us to have our daily bread. The scriptures encourage us to be eating uh, as it would be nourishing our souls and making sure that we don't read on, um, we don't eat on a Sunday and then we think uh, we'll survive to the following Sunday. What we're doing is we're taking the word of God and we understand that to live well and to be nourished in my soul and to dig deep into the word of God is actually food and life for my soul because without this, man can't live. And it becomes for me every source of life. It's my daily bread. Let me tell you someone else who knew this. It was David in the Psalms. And uh, I want to just just start to finish off, but I want to just read how David saw his, the word of God. Listen to this. This is just from the Psalm 119. I'm just going to read some verses from Psalm 119. Verse 54 says this, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. They're like songs to me, Lord. Yeah, beautiful. I just, I just sing about them. They're great. Look at Psalm 70, uh, verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Isn't that amazing? Give me all the money in the world. Give me all thousands of gold and silver because I realize and I recognize because man doesn't live by bread alone that things of this earth are not going to save me, deliver me, nourish me in my soul. He goes, you can give me all the coins you want in the earth. You can give me all the gold that you want. He goes, but nothing, nothing is better than the law of your mouth. Verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 127 says, Therefore I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. And verse 162 says, I rejoiced at your word as one who finds great treasure. Did I tell you about the great treasure that I found? It's called the Word of God. And it brings life to my soul. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, as it says in Colossians 3. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not just through knowledge, but how you live. And there's a quote that I always love using, and you may have heard me say this before, but there was an old a preacher from a long time ago, Charles Spurgeon, who spoke about another preacher from a long time ago called John Bunyan. And he said this about him. He said, to, he said about Bunyan, he said, prick him anywhere, prick him anywhere, and you will find that his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. His soul is full of the word of God. I just love that quote. Prick him anywhere. And you'll see that what flows out of him is the word of God. Now, here's what I want to leave you with. If you do this, 
and you make the Word of God far greater, far richer, far more deeper in, your, in, your, in what brings you life than anything else in this earth, you're going to start to be known as someone who's going to do some really strange things. Are you ready for that? Because all of a sudden, they're going to ask you, what are you doing that for? And you're going to know in your heart, it's because the Word of God tells me so. Now, that's going to be strange to people. But your love and faithfulness to your Heavenly Father is going to make a decision to put God's Word above everything else that seems to make common sense. Do you get that? Now, you've got to be prepared for that. Just like when Daniel in the Old Testament decided that when the law came that he can't pray, you know, rather than just go away quietly and prayed, he opened his windows and prayed because he was compelled by the word of the Lord to do that. Oh, look at this one. What about David in the Old Testament? Remember when David was in a place, I think in a cave, and, and he was longing for the waters of Bethlehem? And three of his chief men thought, oh, my king wants the waters of Bethlehem. So they made their way through the Philistines, risked their lives, grabbed some water from the well, brought it back to David who was in the cave. David saw what they did and the first thing he did was what? He tipped the water out. He said, I can't drink this. I can't drink this. I've made people um, risk their lives for this. David, drink it. They brought it. But he couldn't. See, what he did didn't make sense because he, he was not prepared to put his own indulging desires above what the word of the Lord had asked of him. Does that make sense? Even though he was thirsty and longing for it, he gave it up. He gave it up to put God first. Do you get that? So you're going to do some, you're going to do some things that people aren't going to understand. People are going to look and think, wow, the way you love your partner, that's really bizarre. You really love them, don't you? The way you love your children. Wow, you really do a lot for them, don't you? You're going to do things that people are going to consider sometimes strange. The way you are at work, the way you conduct yourself, people are going to look at you and think, wow, you really take this seriously, don't you? Because that's who you are. You take the word of the Lord seriously because it is your life. Because man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And that, my brothers and sisters, I think, is what life is. Imagine at school how different you'll be. Being prepared to make a difference for Christ or being different for Christ. Because that's what God's word does. So we look at the temptation of Jesus and we see that yes, though it seems to be like a bit of bread, stone into bread, there's a far greater strength to this temptation that Jesus resisted so he could put the will of his father first. I pray, I pray that we take the same faith on board as well. That we have, the, we have that faith to believe that God's word is our life and it is far greater than anything else that we can try and satisfy our flesh with. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Here's an opportunity for us to come and look at everything that we 
seek in life, in everything that we have come to believe will nourish us and help us. Everything that we come to have come to believe is going to give us what we need to get through life. And if we've neglected a deep trust in the word of God, then we've neglected life. An opportunity this morning to come and ask the Lord to give us a renewed love and joy a renewed conviction and a renewed commitment to his word and the nourishment that it gives our souls. We are never too old to need the word of God. We are never too smart to need the word of God but it becomes our life. Let's just reflect on that for a moment before we close. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, my almighty God, for uh, the food of your word, the life in your word. We thank you that uh, in it brings life. It is our very source that continues to guide us and lead us and strengthen us in all situations. Uh, without it, Lord, we would, we would um, starve and die because you are the God who gives all that is needed for, for this life. And we thank you for that. Father, bless your people in the week ahead. May they continue to dig deep in only the source that gives life. They may continue to realize that we don't live on the bread of life, Lord, this earth, but every word that proceeds from your mouth. And May you continue to strengthen them, Father, and be their blessings this week. In Jesus' name, amen.